As often happens when I complete a season, people related to the case reach out to me. In this case, one of the most important people that I could speak to did so. And after she agreed to do a full interview on the record, I went ahead and prepared this episode as a bonus. But it's not really a bonus episode, because it is basically a confirmation of everything that Brandy and I learned while we were researching her mom's case. I also want to report that we have started getting more documents from Hancock County Sheriff's Department. We're still getting them, and so we're in the middle of the process. There is a lawyer involved in doing the redactions. So before we get started with the interview, I'm just going to go over a couple things that we learned. Bryce Morris was interviewed by John Munden at his office in Greenfield on Wednesday, the 12th, which would have been the day after Laura Morris went missing, probably in the middle of the night. And after that interview, he went straight to Dave L. Planup's apartment, presumably based on that conversation. Interestingly, Rick Akers was there, and he asked Bryce, have they found your old lady yet? At that time, Dave L. Planip, Rick Akers, and one other person that Bryce had never seen before was present. The other individual was around 22 with short blonde hair, glasses, and no facial hair. After that, Bryce went to the Snedeker residence, and by that time it was dark outside. At some point during this process, Trudy called Bryce and told him that Rick Akers was wanted for rape, and she asked him if he knew Rick. To me, this all seems to indicate that police and family were already looking at Akers, certainly, and they were questioning Al Planip the very day after Laura Morris went missing. Also, you remember that John Munden had a piece of circumstantial evidence that suggested that Bryce could have been in the Greenfield area when Laura went missing? It was from a witness who had driven by on their way to work and saw a car parked on a nearby road with someone resembling Bryce inside. Well, interestingly enough, that witness appears to be Donnie Munden, Detective John Munden's brother. In John Munden's notes, there is a map, and then along with that, there is a single page titled Details to Substantiate a Theory, and it reads as follows. Bryce offers Corbin $500 to rape his ex-wife. Laura was scared at the gas station by some person, and Chuck Smith says from looking at the photo that it could be Corbin. Winston and Brenda think Snedeker's black truck was empty at the airport. At 10.40 p.m. on the 10th, Laura calls Bryce. At 11 p.m., Bryce calls Laura back. Laura loads the black truck. D. Munden sees a guy that matches Bryce's description on the street at 5 a.m. on the 11th, the next morning. The vehicle is possibly a dark, full-size GM. Laura is missing by 6 a.m. on the 11th, according to her mother. John Ellswick receives a call from Bryce saying not to come to work on Tuesday or Wednesday. So that, in a nutshell, is the case that John Munden had put together against Bryce. I find it interesting that the witness that morning was John Munden's brother, and the corresponding notes about this encounter were redacted from John Munden's debrief that we had by the Indiana State Police. Donnie Munden's name is in that debrief, but the information below it was completely removed. Now, I want to talk about that pivotal Zanesville, Ohio trip. You know the one. Munden alleges that there was a call that Trudy made to get her dad to come down and help her get rid of her daughter's body. According to the notes in John Munden's file, the following interview occurred on January 6, 1987, 
some six years after Laura Morris went missing in 1981. The notes reflect that in Zanesville, Ohio, Virgil and Evelyn Romans were met with, and it was learned that old man Romans, Trudy's dad, was at Virgil and Evelyn's home in Columbus, Ohio, when he received a call from Trudy about Laura's disappearance. Evelyn Romans said that old man Romans told her that Trudy said, If I ever needed you, Dad, I need you now. But both Virgil and Evelyn say that this call occurred in the summer sometime around noon, or maybe a bit before, not in the middle of the night or not in the early morning. Virgil said that old man Romans and Bonnie left their house within 30 minutes after getting that call from Trudy and they were driving a pickup truck. Most importantly, there is absolutely no mention of any hotel or records of a hotel related to that visit, nor is there any indication in Munden's notes that the call in question actually came in on August 10th or 11th, the time frame that Laura first went missing. All they were able to say was that it was summer and it was sometime around noon. In another interview done the next year in 1988, Bonnie Romans recalled that Gertrude went to make a report to police while she and old man Romans waited at the Snedeker house. And we know that report to police occurred much later in the afternoon, so it does not appear that they had left town in a hurry. I find nothing in Munden's notes that comes close to proving that old man Romans helped his daughter get rid of his granddaughter's body. Now let's get to the interview. Cindy was married to Dave L. Planip when Laura Morris went missing. I have two grown children now. Mm-hmm. And what I'm about to tell you is very incriminating against their father. Yeah. He's dead now, too. Guess what? He committed suicide. Oh, did he? I thought he... David, you're talking about... I thought he overdosed. Well, he did, but it, he left a note. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I'm yeah. sorry. That's awful. Well, we were divorced. Mm-hmm. And when... Uh, I, I was a very young, naive 17-year-old that had a lot of abandonment issues. Mm-hmm. And I stumbled on this man, David Alplanup, who wanted to shower me with nothing but love and affection. And early on into our relationship, he decided he was going to go into the Air Force. And so before his six weeks of boot camp was up, he was discharged and I tried to get that information when I was going to get custody of my kids because he was a David Alplanup was an evil evil man but he was discharged from the Air Force for dual identity disorder and schizophrenia you're kidding no wow this is what this is what a private detective shared with me when I was going through custody thank you baby I'm glad you put it on so, um, and your kids don't know all of this. Is that what you're saying? Is that your concern? That their father was a wonderful man. Do you do you a think? Literally gave them custody of my kids, David and his parents. I, and at that point, I, I was, I was devastated, lost, broken. I was a. Uh, it, it was terrible to. And I had to find out what kind of man this was that I married and had kids with. I don't mind this stuff coming out. Mm-hmm. 
I um, like Rick Rufison. Uh-huh. Um, he's been a close friend of mine, and he knew David long before I did. Yeah, he was really helpful to me. He he talked flat out. I mean, we he talked to me about um, Bobby Frost and his concerns about him. He talked to me because I have I I interviewed Bobby Frost for the podcast too. So both yeah, both of them went on the record with me and spoke very frankly. And that's why I like to make sure I know who wants to say what and whether they want their voice on the podcast or not because I don't want anyone doing anything that they don't want to do. But I also have to straddle that line of wanting to, the facts to be out there fairly on all sides to be able to tell the story so that's you know before you got into the what was going on I wanted to know and if you don't want your voice on the podcast that's okay too that's fine I just like to know ahead of time so that I know that I don't do anything to upset anyone you know what I mean I understand that yeah. and I guess I'm torn with that I just don't know I'd like to well let's just talk like about it here's what I'll do and then yeah we can talk about that so here's what I'll do okay. I'll, re- I'll record what we're talking about for my purposes only for now and then okay. if you say that I can put it on, like, that's what happened basically at the end of <laughs> at the end of Rick's. He was like, you know what? I don't care. Let's get the truth out there. So let's just talk uh, with you knowing that I'm recording. And then if at the end you say, I just don't want that on there at the end of our conversation, then that's fine. And if you're okay, you're okay. And we'll do it that way. Because I really don't want to do anything that makes you uncomfortable. That's not what I do here. That's not at all yeah, my thing. Like, like you said, I, the truth needs to come out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know I it's know. tough. I mean. I'm going to tell you right now. I don't know. I can only tell you what I, what hindsight has um, given me and what David confessed to me. Okay. Um, and it would have been in 1980, 1984. So that wasn't that, that was three years after the crime then, because she was, uh, she went missing in August 10th or 11th, maybe in the middle of the night. Of 1981, so we're talking three years after. Right, and I was pregnant with my first daughter at the time. Okay. And I had recently met Laura through my husband David grew up with Bryce Morris. Okay. They lived in the same little neighborhood. They went to the same little country school. Um, Bryce was more a friend of David's older brother, Frank. Okay. But... That was the connection that I was given of of David when he introduced me to Bryce and Laura. Um, we were young couples. We hung around together. We did things together. The night that she went missing, earlier that day, she was at our apartment. And Rick Akers was there. And, of course, she and I were there. And we talked. And the guys just went off and did their thing, which would have been Bryce, Rick, and David. Oh, Bryce was there with the other two that afternoon as well. No. Um, okay. Let me let me think back because, like I said, this has been a long time ago. Yeah. Bryce and Laura had been together earlier that day, but when Laura left our house, Bryce wasn't there. It was just Laura, and she told us, "I got to go pick my mom up from the airport." It was like at, in the middle of the night, like somewhere between midnight and three or something like that. We were all just worried that she was going to be going to the airport that late. So we talked about that. She had to pick up her mom from the airport. Now, another thing I find interesting after I read all the stuff, they told us that her family was moving to Texas. I always thought they moved to Texas, not Florida. Well, they had lived in Texas before um, coming to Indiana. 
Um, but then they they moved to Florida after they were. Indiana. Yeah. Okay. Well. So they did have a past in Texas. Okay. Well, she was going to pick her mom up from the airport, and from what I understood, she was coming back from Texas. That's all I remember about that part. And then um, the next morning, um, people started looking for her. And I don't know who it was that called David and said she's missing or whoever he had that conversation with. But it was only a matter of maybe maybe 24 hours. And this Detective Munden was at our house. Oh, oh, okay. So he was at your house the next day. Yeah, Detective Munden. That's why I say I wish you could get the records that he had from everything he investigated here because I would love to know. Well, we're, we should be getting them on Friday. They've had lawyers going through them, so we should be getting those um, this Friday is the deadline they gave us, so by then. We did finally get those records. Well, some of them. We are still in the process of going through them and still receiving records from the lawyer. She answered questions when we thought things were missing, which right now we still believe some are, and she has promised to continue looking if, after we go through all of the information provided by Hancock County, we feel there is anything missing. So far, what we mostly have are John Munden's handwritten notes, along with more documents and notes from Indiana State Police and other agencies, as well as images from the field where Laura was found, surveillance, and various other documents, none of which so far include a single supplemental report signed by John Munden in Laura Morris's case. I have other Hancock County supplementals related to other cases that I asked for, regarding Jean Lindner and the murder-suicide by the two police officers. But so far, not a single supplemental report about Laura Morris's case written by John Munden. But we're going to keep digging for those. Now, we did find an interview with Dave L. Planip done in May of 1983, about a year and a half after Laura had gone missing. During that interview, he said that he had worked for Steve Snedeker at one point and that he even used to date Brenda, Laura's sister. He told police that Laura had told him that she had about $100,000 stashed somewhere, although I will note that we have uncovered no evidence that that's true. Al Planip said that she had borrowed $150 from him a week or two before she went missing, and at one time he had given her about 500 black beauties and some phony quaaludes that he described having put into a sandwich bag. Those could be the pills that police later found in her purse which was left at the Snedeker residence when she went missing. He also said that he didn't think Laura sold drugs. Ed Planup admitted that he was familiar with the Snedeker home because Laura had asked him to help her move from Danny and Brenda's house to the Snedeker house in Greenfield, and he had done so. He had also been there two days after that. He said that when they did that move, he drove her green pickup, and Laura had driven Danny's silver truck. He said that he had never seen a black pickup with a camper shell, the one that's Steve Snedeker's, despite the fact that it had been parked at the Snedeker's home, as far as we know, the entire time that she was there. Perhaps it had been in the garage, but that's unclear, because Danny had also told us that Laura's belongings were stored in the garage, the ones that she must have packed into that same black pickup with the camper shell the night she went missing. Those details most certainly would be, or they should be, in John Munden's supplemental reports. So far, we do not have a single thing about what he found at the Snedeker home, what Trudy said to him on that first day, 
or any of the actual reports related to this investigation. All we have, again, are his handwritten notes and reports from other agencies and pictures. During that interview, David Elplanip denied having any romantic or sexual dealings with Laura. He did admit that Rick Akers was at his home the night Laura went missing, but he said that he and his wife Cindy, who you're hearing in this episode, went to bed around midnight and were up every two hours because their daughter was having trouble teething. Cindy had just said that she was pregnant with her first child at this time, so that doesn't seem to match with his assertions about a teething child. Alplanup also mentioned someone named Bobby Fulkerson having several 25 caliber automatics for sale, and elsewhere in the notes, there is a mention that Dave Alplanup had purchased a 25 caliber from Fulkerson. Finally, Alplanup admitted telling Bobby Frost that they could break into Laura's house, but he said that he was, quote, only joking. They gave David a lie detector test, and he passed it, and that was my first inclination that David might know what happened because he was so proud of himself for passing that lie detector test. Well, if he has dual identity disorder and schizophrenia, and back in 1980-something, that might be why he was able to pass a lie detector test. I don't know. I'm not, did he tell you that he passed it or did, um, cause I'm not sure he oh, did pass we it. We assumed he passed it. Yeah. I, I'm not confident that he did pass it. Actually. I believe that he didn't. Um, oh, I'd need to go back and look at the records, but as I recall, it did say in there that he had told you and others that he passed with flying colors. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't believe that he did. Um, okay. so that, that's an iffy I'd have to go to, to, I went with to the Greenfield Police Department to have the lie detector. Now, I wasn't in the room with him when he did it or anything. Mm -hmm. But here I was, this freaking idiot young girl that's not even, you know, like, my husband wouldn't kill somebody or, you know, wouldn't abduct her. I was just completely 100% sure. Yeah, you were a kid. Come on, I mean. And Rick was never anything but nice to me. And then things got, then I started seeing things. And Different people came over, and I think Bobby Frost might have been one of them. Um, he had some sketchy friends that he didn't um, introduce me to. David, he kept me kind of sheltered because I was a sheltered girl. And he repeatedly told me, you saved my life. I would be in prison had I, had you not come along. So um, I was this toe-the-line you know, I was more or less a babysitter for all these people that would get wasted, and I took care of these people. Mm-hmm. But, uh... What, let me ask you, uh, just up to the point where we're here now, what brought Munden, so you, you said Munden came to your house, what, the day after. What brought him to your house that day? What was the reasoning? When, um, I, I assumed it was because that was the last place Laura was at, before she came up missing, before before she left to go pick her mom up from the airport, she was at our apartment. Well, because and, there were other stops she made that day. She actually, I have some of that day, and she didn't go in the middle of the night to get her mom. She went, I believe, it, around 8 o'clock and, um, p.m., and before that, she had gone to uh, visit a friend of hers named Winston that she had just started dating, a guy named Winston Roberts, I believe, 
Um, and so she was at his house around 5 o'clock that afternoon. So I'm guessing she was at yours earlier in the day, earlier, you know, before that, before stopping right. to get Winston. It was early in the day. Okay. Now, you said when she was at your house early in the day, you said she had been with Bryce. Now, had she been well, with Bryce? That was the other thing, too. I was surprised to know about this Winston because... In the weeks before that, you know, um, I would see Bryce and Laura together. Really? Um, we had dinner together. Um, she, he wanted her back. Her family did not want her to be with him. Um, he wanted her back. And what she told us was her mom and dad were moving back to Texas, which I find out now is Florida. Um, and she was not letting them take Brandy. And she was and had been around Bryce. Um, he wanted her back. Did he tell you I that or did she tell you that? Together. It was just the way they acted when they were together. They were like a couple. Well, the reason why I, I say that is because Munden says that when he talked to Bryce, Bryce told her he didn't want her back. So, But over the years, Bryce had told Brandy that he did. So there's a lot of conflicting information. And I understand how relationships are, you know, especially when you're that young, you got a kid, you know, maybe there was this push pull, I do want her back, but we argue, but I don't like her family. So it could have been somewhere in the middle. But it is interesting to hear that you guys were spending you. So it was you and David and her and Bryce were going to dinner and spending time together in that week or two leading up to the murder, you're saying? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, that's see, that's why it, this is very important conversation, because you're filling in details that either I didn't know or you're um, directly contradicting things that I had heard. And that's why this is important. And that's why I'm confused. Like, I don't want to be contradicting at all. Well, every, yeah, no, that's fine, though, because you would be in a position to know stuff because you were physically there going places with her and Bryce, whereas people who were assuming we're not. So I I prefer the first-hand accounts. You are telling me you guys that were socializing with them in the week or two leading up to the murder. That is important. But um, I believe Laura had even also told Winston that um, her and Bryce were thinking about this trip to Hawaii or something to talk about Brandy or the relationship or something. So, you know, even from Laura, there seems to be conflicting stuff as far as... And I'm, I'm, I'm saying conflicting so much as unclear maybe i should use that word unclear so go ahead so basically you guys had socialized do you remember where that night where was david gone was he out of the house do you does he even have an alibi for that night this is the this is um very clear to me okay that night david and rick Akers were together they were together that night um I was pregnant and David went and did as he did. And I was totally trusting. Yeah. I had no, no reason to believe he would be up to anything. I knew he loved me and only me. And he was this great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, when I started seeing the dark side of him, I left. This is another piece that might be kind of important. Okay. Um, Laura was still missing. Um, We still lived in Green Tree Apartments where Detective Munden came and investigated him lots. He came to our house a lot. Um, He came to all of David's friends' houses. Yeah. I'm married to Tom Bland. He came to his house, too, because he was a friend of David. Um, But that night, 
Rick and David were together. Now, David told me, if this Detective Munden asks you, was was I home, you'd say yes. Oh, okay. Well, nobody ever asked me. Nobody ever asked me a question. They interviewed my mother. Yeah, I okay. actually saw those records, I believe. Okay, uh, well, when I saw what all of the stuff that was, like, coming real to me, I... I didn't go to work one day I got on an airplane and I went to Georgia to my parents house to my father's house in Georgia I was leaving David I, this was getting to be too much how soon after how, how after Laura went missing about how soon was it that you left I think it was probably about I say six months because I do, I didn't know I was pregnant when Laura disappeared mm -hmm. and I was six Anita was six months old when I left David okay so it was Somewhere between late 80, maybe late 1980. Um, late 81 it would be then. Or 82. Exactly right. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So that makes sense to me. I did see something about you going to Georgia in there. And I do see that they were going around asking um, all of David's um, family, associates, questions, Rick and David. What was Munden asking you if they weren't asking you for for uh, um, David's alibi? What was he there asking you? When he came to Georgia, no. I hadn't been there a matter of hours. Well, and Detective no. Munden was at my dad's house in Georgia. Oh, God. But when they'd come to our house and ask us questions, they didn't ask me anything. They only talked to David. You're even... You're kidding me. Never nope. did they ask... See, that's nope. a problem. I... I um, so, but what I was always he... thought maybe it was because I was his wife and, you know, I couldn't give an alibi or I couldn't. Well, you can't testify in court. You can't be forced to testify in court, but they absolutely ask spouses questions. I mean, they were questioning Bryce about Laura. They were questioning, they're questioning everybody. They can question anybody about whatever they want. So they never well, asked you I if he had you, an alibi. I hope you find out that in those records, they never said they interviewed me. Oh, I, I, so they you came to my work. They came to my work and they, um, I worked at an insurance company uh -huh. and, um, an officer came to my work and had a picture, a Polaroid picture of Rick Akers this other couple and a dog. And he looked at me and he said, do you know any of the people in this picture? And I said, yeah, I know this woman's name is Cindy. I remember because my name's Cindy. That was easy enough. And I remember she was a beautiful girl to be with this, this derelict looking man that she was with. Was that and Chuck and Cindy Claire? Yes. Okay. Yes, yeah. Chuck and Cindy. Okay. Okay. So... Um, I said, I know who they are. And I know, yeah, that's Rick Akers right there. Well, do you know where he is? And I said, yeah, he's, he's at my house. He's at my apartment. So at that point I called David like a dumbass, And I said, <laughs> you know, they just came up here with a picture of Rick. Why would they be looking for Rick? I had no clue. Totally clueless. Yeah. And so immediately Dave warned him and he left. But I know another time. Rick came to our apartment. He had a bullet wound that David cleaned out of him. This was before Laura went missing. How long before? Yeah. It was a while before? It was a while before. Okay. Jeez. Wow. 
I first want to clarify that I do see Cindy's work address in the file. That appears to confirm that they could have shown up at her place of employment and shown her that picture of Chuck and Cindy Claire and Rick Akers and the dog, but I did not find a single set of notes showing that she was ever interviewed or asked any questions about David L. Planop's alibi the night that Laura went missing. As far as Chuck Clare, police did interview him at length, and it was, frankly, one of the more amusing interviews included in the file. Munden didn't do the interview himself. It was done by two Speedway, Indiana detectives on another matter. With Rick Akers, there were lots of other matters. This particular interview related to a rape and robbery that occurred around the same time as Laura went missing. They do get into Laura some and also the shooting incident that Cindy mentioned. It should be noted, and I mentioned in an earlier episode, that Patty Bridges told a different story about the foot shooting incident by Akers, but Chuck Clare eventually spilled the beans. For our purposes here, I'm going to play the cop, and I'll read some excerpts that I feel are relevant. Listen, I have already talked to a few other people about this, all right? So I'm going to tell you about the incident that I'm talking about, and I'm going to then let you tell me what you know. I don't want to be a horse's asset or anything, Chuck, but I will be. I'm not going to tell you what I know, so if you lie to me, you're not going to know what I know. Do you understand? I told you I'd shoot it straight to you. You ask me, and I'll tell you what I know. I'll tell you exactly what I know about it and what I don't. All right. So about... June of last year, near the end of the month. Akers came to your house with an injury to his foot. He sure did. I'd like you to tell me everything you know about that, Chuck. Rick and Dave L. Planip came in about, I don't know, 5.30 or quarter to 6 in the morning. Because Cindy was up and she was on her way out the door to go to work. When Rick opened it up and David was kind of holding him up. And then he said, I've been hurt. And I said, oh, you have? And he said, yeah. So we went into the bathroom and he had tied a rag around his foot with a plastic bag on it. I asked him what happened, and at first he told me that him and Dave was playing around with a minibike or a little motorcycle or something, and he said that he had hurt his foot and it jammed something all the way through his foot, the kickstand or something. So that went off pretty good, and, and I could buy that and everything, because they were always farting around doing something anyway. And then Rick asked Dave to go take his car and go get Patty. On his way out, Dave threw Rick's shoe out the car window, and it was just a, a bloody mess, blood all over the place. And it was a type of shoe, you know, you really couldn't wash it, but you could if you had to. So Rick's there in the bathroom taking care of his foot, pouring peroxide and alcohol on it, and this and that. And so while he's doing that, I walked out into the yard, and I took the water hose, and I sprayed that shoe down real good, trying to rinse part of that blood off. And when I picked it up, I saw this little dot in the bottom of the sole of the shoe. I went into the house, and I said, Rick, how'd you get hurt? He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, it just seems to me that's a bullet in the bottom of your shoe down there. He said, yeah, it is. And I said, well, how'd that happen? And he said, I didn't want to tell you I'd been shot because it was so stupid. He pulled out the little nickel-plated automatic with white handles. And he said, I just got this gun and I was looking at it and I shot myself in the foot. And I said, you shot yourself on the foot? And he said, yeah. So I could believe that he wouldn't want to tell anyone that he shot himself in the foot. I kind of, I went for that, you know? Then he got real paranoid. For a couple of days, he just laid around on the couch and he hemmed and he hawed and we kept him pumped full of aspirin and shit to keep it from hurting so bad. And he decided about three or four days, I guess, I don't know why, that he just didn't want to lie to me or whatever. 
And then he said, well, he'd been inside someone's house. And I said, whoa, I don't want the details. I don't want to hear any more about it. If that's the way it happened, you know, that's fine with me. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I don't want nothing to do with it. Anyway, he got to where he could hobble around a little bit. And he said, well, I'm going to go home. And I said, all right. He left for North Carolina. And he stayed down there, I don't know, about a month, I guess, before he came back. So when did all this happen? What, the shooting? When did he show up at your door? You want a specific date? Yes. I don't know. Well, why don't you narrow it down as much as you can for me, Chuck? Um, the end of June or the very first of July. I know it was nice outside. Was all planned up with him? Yeah. Now, I don't know if Dave was in the house with him one way or another. I imagine he was. Is it Rick's habit to carry a knife? He had one. It was a fillet knife, like you fillet fish with. That morning when he came back, he didn't have it. I asked him what happened to it, and he said he lost it. I don't know if he carries the knife with him all the time. Evidently, now he's carrying a gun all the time, though. What about Dave L. Planet? Did he carry a knife? Not that I know of. I tell you, the only association I had with Dave was through Rick, you know. We never got real close. Me and Cindy would go over and visit with Dave and Cindy once in a while, but as far as his background or his habits or anything like that, I can't really, I mean, I'd be telling you a lie for sure if I told you I knew anything about Dave. Rick and Dave were pretty tight-mouthed about everything. What kind of dope did Dave use, if you know? He was a snowman. Cocaine. Was he on it pretty heavy at the time? Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Did they have anything else with them that you saw when they came over that day? Not that I saw. Rick told Dave to go uptown and get money. I would just imagine whatever it was that they had in the car, Dave went and sold it early that morning. He came back and gave Rick three or four hundred dollars. What about Patty? Was she with Rick that night? Not that I know of. Like I said, Dave went over there early that morning to get her, and he went over and woke her up about 6.30 in the morning. She was living at home? Yeah, at her parents' house. What about El Planet? Did he ever talk with you about it? I didn't ask. I haven't been in it for years and years, and I don't know what they were up to. I knew it was something criminal, but I didn't know what, and I felt like the less that I knew, the less trouble I was going to be in. Maybe now I wish I would have asked him. You understand, though, that not reporting a gunshot wound is a crime, don't you? I don't know. At the time, I never really thought much about it. He said he got shot. Three or four days later, he left. I figured, so far, so long. I'll see ya. Was he driving a Barracuda at that time, Acres? Uh-huh, uh-huh. He was driving that cream-colored Barracuda. What kind of shoes did he have on? They were kind of suede, and they had soles on them that were about an inch or three-quarter of an inch thick. Not like boots, just little lace-up shoes. What color was the bag on his foot? I think it was a bread sack. I, I couldn't swear to it, but I believe it was a bread sack. I asked him how come he did that, and he said he didn't want to get blood all over the car. That made reasonable sense to me. I just kind of let it go at that point until I found the bullet. Was he wet? His clothes, were they wet? Yeah, about six inches above his knees. Dave was wet. Does Rick like dogs? Yeah, I guess he got along with dogs reasonably well. He wouldn't hurt a dog, you don't think? Oh, yeah. If the dog was going to bite him, it's dead. I mean a little dog. If that dog was barking and yapping and he was doing something criminal, he'd kick it across the room or something to shut it up or whatever. Like I said, I don't really know because I wasn't ever around him when he was doing anything like that. He'd take off 10 or 11 o'clock at night and come in at 5 or 6 in the morning, all the time. Sometimes he'd have drills, saws, tachometers, radios, all kinds of shit. 
There ain't no point in me sitting here telling you that I know he wasn't in some kind of criminal activity because he had to be. He wasn't working, and he had to be. He wasn't working, and he always had money. So he had to be stealing something. He stayed at my house for a month, probably longer than that, and I never seen him broke. So what period of time are we talking about that he stayed with you? Mm, We're talking about from the middle of June until, well, like I told you. Then he got shot, and it was either late June or early July, and he took off and he went home for a couple weeks or a month. So we're talking about the whole month of August. Three or four days after he left, I think, the state police and the FBI came to my house almost immediately. Started telling me all this, what he was doing, and I just couldn't hardly imagine it. Why's that? Obviously, you never met Rick. He seems just like one of the nicest, I mean, a very polite person. He rarely ever cussed. It's just hard for me to imagine that he's a rapist. He was with my wife alone, I don't know how many times, in that whole period of a month. You know what I think, don't you? No, what's that? I think Rick's got a problem. Well, if he's raping all them damn women, he's got a problem. He's a sickie. I mean, that guy's got something that clicks in his mind. Some people have that sometimes. You talking like maybe a split personality or something? All I know is that when he was at my house, he treated my wife like a lady. And I never saw him make any advance toward her. He was a nice guy. He was neat and clean and he always picked up after himself. He just seemed like a nice guy. Other than, you know, that petty theft. You know where Rick was staying before he started living with you? I got no idea. I know when he first came back to Indiana, he stayed with Dave L. Planet for about a week and a half. And I guess when he moved out of Dave's house, he moved into my house. Who would you say is Rick's closest friend? David L. Planet. Do you know where he's at now? Supposedly someplace in Georgia. When he moved out of Green Tree, that's what he told me. And how long's that been? That's been a long time ago. Remember when they were hunting that girl that disappeared, Laura Morris? Well, the police talked to him and questioned him in that. Cindy, his Cindy, I think she found out that he'd been fooling around with Laura and whatever. I don't know how it went down. Anyway, she left him and took off and went to Georgia somewhere. And he went down there and he got her and he brought her back. And they stayed at the apartment for a day or two, maybe. And then he packed up whatever he could get in his dad's van and he left. What do you think? Do you think Rick can function by himself or does he depend on somebody? Oh, he's definitely not a leaner. He don't depend on nobody. When he does something, nine times out of ten, it was with one person, like Dave L. Planet, where he'd do it by himself. The only time he and Dave came to my house early in the morning is the morning when he was shot. The only reason he didn't take Dave home first was because he was bleeding. He didn't know how bad he was hurt. Chuck, do you know where Rick's at now? No. If I knew where Rick was at, you'd know. And that's the truth. What would you do if he came to you for help? What would I do? I'd send him on his way and then call the police. That's exactly what I'd do. I mean, there ain't no way I'm going to fist fight the guy and hold him until you get there. I'd just send him on his way and call you and say, hey, Rick was just here. Do you think he'd attempt to contact anyone in your family for help? No, if he contacted anybody in my family, he'd definitely go to jail. They'd just call you and tell you. Why, are they all pretty pissed off at him? Well, nobody wants a rapist running around their house. I know I don't. If I thought for a minute that he was raping anybody or carrying on or anything except petty theft... We're talking about murder and shit. You try to blow a policeman away? I don't care what you think a police officer stands for. Yeah, I was just telling Paula that. That was an idiot move. Hey, Chuck, you know um how him and Patty got along when they were down south? Yeah, I guess I heard he knocked her around some. Did he do that while he was up here? I heard tell of him hitting her one time. Other than that, I don't know. Did you ever talk to Rick about these allegations made about him? About what allegations? 
the rapes and stuff. How could I have talked to him about this? I told you I haven't heard or seen the man. None of this even came out until a week after he left my house. Chuck, where do you think he'd go if he were in trouble? I don't know. Like I said, we never got into no criminal side of Rick Akers. When he was at my house, we was all, I don't know if I should say this or not, but we was all just sitting around drinking beer and smoking pot. We never talked about his criminal activities. Do you think it would make any difference if there was some money on his head? If somebody said, I'll give you $1,000 if you tell me where Rick's at? I still wouldn't know where Rick's at. No, I'm not talking about you, Chuck. I'm talking about anybody. You think it would make a difference? Hell, I don't know. The FBI already asked me that. I just, I don't know. It'd be hard to say. You might offer Patty something. She might sing like a little birdie. So $1,000, 5000 you think somebody would turn him in for that? Somebody would, I guess, but I don't know who. If you offered me 5000 if I knew where he was, you'd have him in a hot flash. Do you think you could find him for $5,000, Chuck? Do I think I could find him for $5,000? No, to tell you the truth, I wouldn't even know where to start looking. He's underground somewhere. Chuck, have you told us the truth about not knowing where Rick Akers is? You can put me on that polygraph if you want. Would you be willing to take a test? Yeah, I would. Hey, Chuck, what size bullet would you say it was, the one in his shoe? I know exactly what size of bullet it was. It was a twenty-five caliber, because it came out of that nickel-plated twenty-five automatic. You know what happened to that? Nope, I don't. When he left, he took it with him. Chuck, when he eventually told you the truth about that foot injury, did he say he was at someone's house? Yeah. Did he tell you if it was a man or a woman that shot him? From what I gathered, a man shot him, and it seems like they were wrestling over the gun, and the breach came back and cut the man's hand. He didn't have it right in his hand or something. Did he say that the guy had blood on him? Yeah, the guy definitely had a cut on his hand. I didn't get into that shit in great detail. I didn't want to know what Rick Akers was doing. That was not part of my life. Did David L. Planup ever tell you what really happened? Uh-uh. David never breathed a word of it. Chuck, I'm going to be honest with you. If he told you what happened, the truth, then you tell us. We know what happened, okay? And if you tell us exactly what happened and what took place, I'm not going to charge you with it. I'm saying it right now. I'm not going to charge you with it. I'm not going to charge you with assisting him on that crime. I will not be arresting you. I wasn't there at all. Okay, okay. Bottom line. This is it, okay? They broke into these people's house, and they snuck around in the house, and they didn't even know the people were there. He didn't say where it was, and I didn't ask. And they was in there trying to find money, or whatever it was that they were in there after. And he went to the bedroom door, and he looked in, and he found out that people were in the house. So he waved over at Dave and told him to come over there. And then they ran into the room, and the guy woke up. And then Dave was tying up the woman or something, and... And I think he said it was tape, gray furnace tape. And then Rick and this man was wrestling around for the gun and it went off. Who had the gun? The man. The man had the gun. The gun went off and, and it hit Rick in the foot on the top. And then when it did hit Rick on the top of the foot, it cut the guy's hand or something. And then the guy dropped the gun and evidently Rick hit the guy hard enough for Dave to get over there and tie him up too. And then while Dave was tying him up, Rick was in the bathroom putting the plastic bag on his foot. That's all he told me, that they wrestled over the gun and he got shot, and he went to the bathroom, and he didn't know how bad he was hurt. And he put the plastic bag on his foot so there wouldn't be blood stains on the floor, and then they left. That's all I know, man. That's all I know. Did he say whether he robbed them? I don't know. I said I don't know. And you're telling us you know what kind of gun it was? Twenty-five automatic, nickel-plated with white handles. Are you scared of Rick, Chuck? Hell no, I ain't scared of Rick. What about Dave Alplanup? Alplanup? No, I ain't scared of him either. Neither one of them could do anything with me unless they had a gun. What kind of guy is all planet? Just seemed like the average junkie to me. I mean, get in there, get those bucks, and then get that snow for the nose. 
You know, Rick's on the run. What do you think he's going to do about things like eating if he's hiding out? I don't know. Somebody's got to be taking him something, don't they, if he's hiding? He can't survive a week very well if he doesn't have something to eat. I'll tell you something about Rick. He's shrewd when it comes to shit like this. He walks through a neighborhood, he sees a garage door open. There's a freezer in there, a refrigerator. He'll go in there and take it. And then he'll go back to wherever he's hiding at and cook it up. You think he'd cut his hair or anything to try to disguise himself? I don't think he'd cut his hair off. And that picture you guys got running on the news, that don't look a thing like Rick Akers. The one with the long hair? How do you know? When he was at my house in July, it was feathered back, parted in the middle. He had a real nice, well-trimmed beard and a little mustache. He ain't going to change that hair. It might have grown out a little bit, but it's still feathered back, I guarantee. You think he'll cut the beard? I've had this beard around ten years now, and if you guys were hunting for me like that, that beard would come right off. Would he cut his hair? Absolutely not. He might shave his beard, but his mustache won't go, and his hair won't go. Rick's got a fetish about being a pretty boy. So Rick, um, Rick Akers leaves because he gets warning from David. And I was told that David left town at some point, too. How far along was that? Well, he left town to come find me in Georgia at, at, at that point. I don't know what time frame we're talking about, but the only time David left town was he was he was on, hot on my trail. And his threat to me was always he was going to shoot me and feed me to the alligators. Why? Why well, was going to shoot you? So, I, I, he was just an evil person. He was just an evil person, and I didn't want to be with him. So that and was that's a- all that had to piss him off. When I found out, you know, you are not a good person, and all these things happen around you. I didn't want to be any part of that. Yeah. Um. And when he came to Georgia, my parents talked to us and was like, you know, you're young, you need to stay together, yada, yada. I get pregnant with my son that night. So we stayed in Georgia a while, and then David ended up going to jail for cocaine charges. And, yep, I saw those um, documents. We were we lived in a, the first apartment that we moved into after um, he we, we got to Georgia, and we lived with my parents for a while. The first apartment that we moved into, we hadn't lived there a matter of weeks. And some detectives came knocking on the door because there was a woman murdered in um, a laundromat in a building across the street from ours. Mm-hmm. I saw the documents of that, too. They were oh, checking. Yeah, well, see, the notes I have are from Indiana State Police. So when they went to, when Munden um, went to Georgia, a, an Indiana State Police detective was there doing the interviews with him. So they interviewed people's parents. They, I believe it was your parents they talked to. There was some other woman. I can't remember. I thought her name started with a B, but I can't remember that had been seeing David for a little bit. Um, she didn't know he was married for, it was only about a week. Um, there were a bunch of people that they talked to in that area. And they did mention that at some area where that you guys were living, there was some crimes going on. They mentioned him, um, things being stolen from a place where he was doing security at a apartment complex. Um, so all that kind of stuff. Well, I guess my question is when, when, even in the early days when they were coming to your apartment in Greenfield and asking questions of David, what kind of questions were they asking him? Like, did he seem like a suspect or? I was in the same, they want to know where was he at? And and mostly they were asking him questions about Rick Akers. You know, like, come on, man, we know he's your friend. But if you know he's done this, he's, you know, potentially 
um, abducted your friend and, you know, they really were on Ricky Akers. Because he had the known history of uh, being yeah. violent. And I don't think at that time they were aware that David was um, doing some of those robberies slash possible sexual assaults. Right. They didn't know at the time. And all that came out probably later, if if the cops even knew that. I don't know. I learned that as I was doing interviews. Um, yeah, I don't believe they knew that. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's new information now. And I don't, I just, I just, I cannot understand how Munden got so derailed on this because it's so clear, yeah. you know. I did you ever talk to a private investigator of the Snedegers, Laura's parents? They hired a private investigator, I'd say, a month or so to maybe after the, um, after she went missing. And he went around interviewing people, too. And he got some stories behind the scenes. And I just wondered if you... Um, I don't remember. I, honest to goodness, do not remember anybody asking me any questions. Okay. Um, at all I was no I was always um like in the background just sort of and I was very very terrified of David um even before this he was a he was an evil man and so were his parents but um the part that I really want you to hear okay is that it, it, I'm trying to think it was probably in somewhere around 1984, 85. Um, David was high as he could be on cocaine and he got to crying like a little baby and he wanted to confess some things. And he told me that the night Laura disappeared... They knew that Steve Snedeker was a weirdo and had a bunch of money, cash money laying around. And so Rick shared that, or Tom, I'm sorry, David shared that information with Rick. Then Laura was at our house earlier that day and she made the comment she had to go pick her mom up from the airport. Her mom and dad were out of town. Mm-hmm. So they got in their heads, that house was empty. Laura, as far as we knew, Laura didn't live there with them. Maybe she did. I didn't know if she did, you know, whether she lived there or not. It was a recent thing. She had, I don't believe, yeah. David says they didn't know she was there. Ed Planup admitted that he was familiar with the Snedeker home because Laura had asked him to help her move from Danny and Brenda's house to the Snedeker house in Greenfield. And he had done so. He had also been there two days after that. Yeah. So they were going to go to rob the house um, that night. Did they think she was going to be there, or did they think she was going to be going to pick her mom up from the airport so she wouldn't be there, or nobody That's would be there? I think they thought—I know they thought nobody would be there, because he said when they got there, Laura was there. And, and David said, I told Rick, no, we're not doing this here. And David said, he brought me back home, and Rick went back. Now, the fact that David was such a liar and such an evil person, I've always questioned, did he do, was he accomplice to this? But he told me, Rick Akers went back. And that's possible. But um, so the question I have always is, 
Nothing was taken from the house, so there was no robbery. They didn't go in because Laura was there. How did they know she was was there? Um, did they see her? Did they talk to her? What happened? How did they? He just said that they they saw she was there. That's all I know is that they realized she was there. Probably whether from her car. Okay. To her or whether I don't know that part. Okay. All I know is when they got there with the intention of robbing the house, David told Rick, "No, we're not going to hurt Laura." And so they came back to our apartment, Rick and David. He dropped David off. Rick left. And David said, Rick went back. He knows Rick went back. And so I'm asking him, I'm saying, you know, did he abduct Laura? Did he, you know, but he was so high. Mm -hmm. Um, But I got the distinct feeling I really have, all these years, I have said Rick Akers did this to her. I honestly believe with everything in me that Rick Akers did it. And why Munden got so derailed was because look at her family. Well, yeah, that, that's exactly what I explore in the her podcast. Dad, yeah. Her dad, yeah. because the fact that he had all these bad business deals um, with people, he instantly thought it was somebody retaliating against him. Right. Do you, do you know what vehicle they drove that night there? It was a Barracuda. I know um, it was an older car. Rick had a couple of Barracudas. He had a red one and he had a white one. And I don't know which one of those two it was. But so, I know it was a convertible Barracuda. They drove a convertible Barracuda to somewhere to yeah, rob a place? To, to Laura's house that night. So is, is that, isn't that a fairly small car to be trying to rob? See, I've... <sighs> they were going because they thought there was money in trash bags. Now, we did find an interview with Dave L. Planet done in May of 1983. During that interview, he told police that Laura had told him that she had about $100,000 stashed somewhere. Money? Oh, okay. I see. So they somehow got it into their heads that there was literal cash hanging out at, at Laura's house. Where would they have gotten that idea? Well, I over the years when I've thought about this, the only thing I could think of is maybe Bryce had a conversation with David like, man, this Steve dude, he's so crazy. He's got all this cash laying around and, you know, because Bryce didn't know as, as long as he'd known David, he didn't know David did stuff like that. Nobody yeah. did. Nobody did. He was the nicest guy. Hmm. And then he killed himself. He's left a note. I've never, um, never, ever had any desire. When my son was 18, a friend of the family took him. They read the letter. I have no idea what it said. Um, don't care. I, I'm, I had to, I needed to let all of that go and when when rick came up to me and said hey has this lady called you about the laura morris i was like no i said you know when i moved back to indiana i saw all these newspaper articles that her mom did it and me and rick both looked at each other and said no no that's not what happened 